Welcome to the Leap of Faith podcast. And today my guest is Angela Brusi. And Angela is a young woman living and working in Albania. She's 23 years old. She's a writer, an international emerging leader, and a social enterprise innovator. She has been driven by the vision for social, social justice and a world free from human trafficking from an early age. She has studied in the UK and graduated with an MA in global crime and justice from the University of York. Her academic work focuses on human trafficking and is driven by a vision of social change and justice. Currently, she's also working on a social enterprise plan named Empowerful, with the vision to make every survivor of human trafficking financially independent by building an inspiring future for their lives. Angela has written two books and has co-authored in articles focused on human trafficking, unemployment, and social projection protection. Welcome. Angela. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for this space. And I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah. I'm, each time I see how young you are, I'm really so amazed about what you already did. How can a human being of 23 years old do so much in such a short period of time? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's really kind to say. I mean, we have so many youth examples that, that we can admire nowadays. Uh, Malala's example and many other uh, young people's example. So um, I would feel modest about what I've achieved so far. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's always good to be modest, but I think you can also be proud of what you achieved already. Um, but let's first uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, you are living and working in Albania and you are, you are from Albania, right? Yes, um, I'm originally from Albania. I grew up in Greece and then I did my uh, university, part of my university studies in the UK, but I'm currently working in Albania. I'm working in a research institute and as well um, on my free time, I'm working on a social enterprise plan for the survivors of human trafficking, as you mentioned. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about that because I think it's, it's, it's really inspiring what you're doing. But first of all, I'm, uh, so what made you, uh, how did you end up in Greece wh wh while you were living in Albania? That's a great question. And I would say it all started when I was uh, three to four years old. We had uh, a rebellion in Albania, something like a civil war, and we had to flee the country. So um, we became victims of uh, human smuggling. Me and my family, we were smuggled across the border of Albania to Greece. And then our, smuggle, our smugglers deceived us. So we had to walk for one and a half days across the mountain. And I can still remember some tiny bits of those moments, uh, very blurry memories. But I remember the smugglers shouting at women who were breastfeeding their children to be quiet. And also I remember the fear that I might get noticed by them. So I was holding my breath in case they would, they would, hear, they would hear me breathing. Mm. But it all went good. It all went good. Yeah. How old were you? Moment. Because it really like, it sounds like a very young memory. How old were you? 
Um, I was four years old. Four years old, yeah. Four years old. But it all went up, worked out well. You you ended up in Greece with you were with your parents. Yes, I was with my parents. We first went to an island of Greece, and then we stayed there for a year. After that, the employment opportunities, especially for um, for immigrants, they were very weak, especially in the years of uh, in the nineties. So we had to move to, uh, to a more urban city within, within the Greece. So we, we moved to Thessaloniki, which is the second largest city of Greece. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and how long have you been living there with your parents? What were your parents doing when they were living in Albania? Yes, uh, it was challenging because my mother, she's a doctor and my father an engineer. So um, coming from those backgrounds, they, they couldn't fit in in, um, in what they, they, they had to do in Greece. So my mother had to clean, um, uh, to clean hotel rooms or to provide cleaning services to houses. And also my father had to do gardening work. Uh, she had to work in a bakery. Uh, they had to do um, jobs that were not fitting their background but they had to do it to survive and at least to live in a safer country than yeah. what Albania was in those years. And this story is I think very representative for many immigrants still today. Yeah, people from Syria coming now in Europe, uh, your parents have a high education, yeah, they're a doctor and engineer and then they moved to another country in the 90s which is Greece and start cleaning hotel rooms and doing gardening. I think we, as Western people, we can't almost imagine it to yeah, that you have a degree and that you have to start living in another country all over again. You are like a nobody. Yes. How is that? That was challenging and especially for your personality, personal development, how you fit in with the society. Um, we were excluded, we felt excluded, especially me. Um, I've had I've struggled to learn Greek and then I've struggled to learn Albanian as well when I had to come back to Albania. So it was a full journey of struggles. But when we see nowadays all of those refugees struggling so much, coming from countries in conflict, um, I, can, I, can, I can reflect in my memories and my experiences and I think we, we should do something. At this time especially, we should take action. So, so we will talk about it later because I think this is really what makes you drive, what, what your inner drive is to, uh, to work on social justice and human trafficking because it's, it's like a, an experience you had yourself. Uh, but first you, you went studying in the UK. Why did you go to the UK and didn't uh, study in Albania? So I did my bachelor's degree in Albania for administration of social services. And then I moved to the UK for my master's because um, currently in the UK, there, is, there are a high number of trafficking victims from Albania, that they're trafficked in the UK. So I wanted to explore more why is that happening? What is the support provided? And what are those push factors that make uh, victims from Albania or our other Southeastern Europe countries being trafficked in, in, in well-developed countries such as the UK, Netherlands, Italy, France. So I wanted to explore more why is that happening and what support the countries of origin are offering to, to those victims and survivors. Yeah, 
and, and did you find in the UK what you were looking for? Well, um, I could I could get the skills to to be more able to to do a, a well-informed research, and I've created connections that are still helping me with my social enterprise plan or well, or with my career development in the future. So it was a worthwhile experience and also a very eye-opening experience, mm -hmm. uh, viewing different realities and viewing the United Kingdom as a person who lives there is very different as a person who lives there compared to a person who sees it from, uh, from the news or from the travel ag agencies. You, you perceive the real social pro problems that are happening in the UK. Yeah, and in other Western countries as well. Yeah. And how was it for you as an Albanian young woman studying in the UK? So how was it for you on a personal level? Well, thank you for asking this question because we usually tend to not receive these questions. You know, they're mostly focused on the professional perspective. And I think that's really important because I was quite young. I was 22 years old when I went and it was my first time uh, traveling abroad for such a long period, living abroad for more than a year. So it was very challenging, especially the first three months. I had to spend Christmas alone oh. and New Year alone, alone in, in terms of not with my family for the first time. So that was also challenging, but I managed to, to be active and to meet new people. So I spent New Year's with, um, with a British family through a host UK uh, system. So that was also very interesting and it was a transformation for me in terms of as a woman. It felt like from being that young girl, being very scared, not taking initiatives, not being very brave, um, it felt like a transformation going yeah. to another stage. And is that something you would recommend to every woman who is a little bit scared and shy to, to move abroad? and uh, be alone you know or of course you were with other people young students maybe but not with your parents you know so would you recommend that to people to women i've had such discussions with friends here in albania and i would definitely recommend it i think that change and growth happens beyond the side of the comfort zone so every time we we dare to push through that comfort zone this is where we grow and it's not going to be always a great path and a very beautiful path, but it's, it's, going, it's going to change you. And change is not necessarily meant to be always very beautiful and bright. It can have ups, ups and downs. Yes. It also sounds like you're talking about growing pains, you know. You want to change, you want to grow, you want to learn. It's not only beautiful, it's not only, um, you know, a fairy tale living abroad wow it's fantastic it isn't you know to be honest when i was 18 i wanted to be an au pair in paris and it was before the internet was there so you had to register with a letter and send it and i was really at the post box and i didn't put it in i didn't i was too afraid i think oh my god i'm going to paris and yeah, maybe there I will be in a family who hates me and the children will hate me and I don't know nobody. So I was really scared. So I'm so I admire you for, for just doing it, you know. It, it's it's really a leap of faith. And at that time I wasn't ready and, and, and you were in a way, you were uh but that's a long time ago. Um 
Okay, and then you studied in the UK and you graduated. Um, and then, did you go back to Albania? Yes, um, I, I, could stay, I could have stayed a little bit longer, but I chose to come back to Albania because um, there are so many, so many things happening in Albania in terms of uh, social problems, the support uh, process to the human trafficking victims and survivors is very weak, either by the government and also there is limited funding available. So um, I wanted to be of use as quick as possible. So um, I came back to my country of origin and I started working in that perspective, working on that social enterprise plan and also searching for jobs that will be relevant to my, my mission and to my work for the future. And it's a pity we are not, you know, uh, broadcasting this as a film. Uh, we could, but because if people could see your face when you're talking about it, it's really like, yes, of course I went back to Albania. You know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I have to do it. That's what I saw on your face. Yes, very, you know, I was very determined. And I've, I've had also cases of uh, relatives and friends um, asking me, why would you do that? Why would you come back? Um, having a master's degree from abroad, you could have stayed there or you could have moved in another European country or developed country. And it was, uh, that was not the point of my studies. I didn't st study global crime and justice um, to, to stay away from, uh, from the country that has inspired me to do that study. So I wanted to come back here and also challenge this environment, especially being a girl, that's a double challenge. And I'm a person who likes challenges. Yeah, so, so tell me a little bit more about Albania because most people have no idea. We only know about the problems. Uh, we know about, of course, in the Netherlands, we have people from Albania working in construction work. Uh, they uh, they are not yet part of the European Union, are they? No, we're not yet part of the no. European Union. Yes. Oh, so that, that's like they're in the waiting chair, the waiting room to, to become part of it. Um, but tell me a little bit about the country, uh, the culture, um, the things we, we don't know, you know, the, the beauty. Albania is really beautiful. Uh, we have everything that you could have imagined in terms of landscapes. We have uh, beautiful seaside, beautiful seaside. We have uh, gorgeous mountains and also really nice and tasty food, bio food. Uh, you could taste the real watermelon now in the summer and also, and also other fresh ingredients. And as well about culture, we, we have something that we, we still feel it, uh, within us, which is called BESA, which is we are trustworthy. If we say that we're going to do something, we keep our promise. Yes. And that used to be something, um, something quite well spread uh, years ago. So we didn't, we didn't have to do agreements, legal agreements, and other sort of legal stuff because we had our BESA. Mm -hmm. And also our Mikritia, which is uh, we are very hospitable. So we've opened up uh, our houses uh, when there was the Kosovo War for Kosovo uh, friends. And we, we also are very host hospitable in terms of um, other religions. We are a very religious, uh, tolerant country, which I really appreciate that because that would have been an additional problem in terms of our development and our conflicts. Mm -hmm. So that's a great value that I appreciate about Albania.
However, we do have our struggles as well, as you've heard. <laughs> yes, of course. And, uh, and I didn't want to focus only on the problems because that, that would be like, you know, uh, too, almost too easy. That's why I wanted to also change perspective on, okay, so there's a country of people who are very open to also help their uh, friends from Kosovo when there was a civil war and who have their, uh, their Bessa, you said Bessa? Yes, yes. Bessa, so keeping the promise, if you say something, you do it, so you don't need to make agreements on paper. I could, yeah, it would, yeah, today it, it's almost impossible to imagine that it still exists, but, you know, I would love to believe that it would be possible in the future, you know, and, and maybe it's an utopia, but uh, why not dreaming? Yeah, that we trust each other and uh, we can leave the door open. We don't need keys on our door. And that if you say something, you do it and you know what's mine and what's yours. But so we can talk about that part also for hours. And um, so in the introduction, I said uh, that you're, yeah, so your work focuses on human trafficking and is driven by your vision of social change and justice. And um, so you already told me about that you had to, to leave to Greece and uh, what you experienced as a little child. So what is your main drive to work in that area as a young woman? It is mainly not only deriving from my personal experience. Um, I don't think that that can be compared to the experience that um, uh, sex trafficking victims have, have experienced in their lives. I wouldn't dare to say that, but it, it comes also from the patriarchy that we experience in Albania. Uh, I remember when, um, when, when I would come back to, to Albania, uh, we would have some weddings to attend, so we would come back for a week from Greece and we, we would attend the wedding. Um, I would remember attending weddings of um, girls aged 18 to 19 years old, they've just finished their high school or being engaged when they were in high school so that would make me reflect on the power that girls um, have in their hands on how education would be taken away from them not directly but but indirectly and that was even harder to identify and tackle and respond to it so that made me reflect on the real power that women and girls have and they should have in Albania also the experiences of my relatives, of my mother herself, I wouldn't want to accept that as a reality for me and for my generation. So that is my main drive. It's also about, um, about equity, not only in Albania, but uh, a worldwide equity, but not, not wanting to sound utopian, as you said. Um, I think starting from a local initiative and starting with small steps, it, it can be more productive and you can tackle it um, yeah, so going back one step, you say the, the girls uh, are, they have to marry when they're 18, so they just finish high school, and when they marry, they don't do any further education. Uh, not, not, not all of them, they do not have to do that, but there have been so many cases that that has happened and is still happening, and it might not be a clear case in the capital city, in the Tirana, but that's the case um, in rural areas of Albania, and even and even in um, in in cities not very far away from the Tirana itself. Yeah, 
And how many inhabitants has Albania? Just uh, oh, we are less than three million inhabitants. We're a small country. Three million, yeah. But there is a lot of rural area, right? Yes, it's the yeah. main lot of rural area, agriculture. We count a lot on on uh, tourism and agriculture. And and yeah. And what do you uh, know, because you, you do scientific work also and research, um, what do you know about uh, the, 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 the real cause of human trafficking happening in Albania? Yes, um, from, from the research that I've done, but also from the available research that's currently being published in Albania or in the Europe, um, Albania is mostly a country of origin for human trafficking victims. You will, you will find human trafficking victims trafficked within Albania, from rural to urban areas uh, or in other forms. But most of the cases happen abroad. They happen in well-developed countries. And what we've also found through our research or from the research of our colleagues is that most of the victims are girls and women. They are trafficked for sexual exploitation and not for forced labor as it could happen in other, in other countries. And also, um, the, the, um, what the traffickers use to deceive the victims is mostly through a lover boy method. Mm -hmm. Trust with the victim, which is also very hard to identify in the first moment and tackle it later. So they promise fake marriages, and then when they travel abroad, um, the victims they face with, with the reality that the trafficker has built for them. Yes, we know those stories from the newspapers and from videos. So in Amsterdam it's happening too, you know, or fake promises like, oh, we have a job for you, you want to have a better life, and uh, you can be uh, working in a restaurant. And then when they arrive in the, you know, the destination country, the country with the demand, yeah, let's say it, which is the Netherlands also, they, uh, the, their passport is taken away and they have, you know, and they, they say, so we paid so much for you to get here, so now you have to work for me. And then they have to, yeah, it, it, it really breaks my heart. It's, it's happening. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think people know this, so, but it's good to, 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 to mention it. And you say it's not so much happening in Albania because the demand is abroad. People are taken from poor countries and rural areas. So if there's no demand, it won't, it won't happen. I think, you know, that's also the case. Um, you, uh, you are creating, you are working on, because we talked about it in our introduction call, on a social enterprise plan called Empowerful. I love the name, by the way. Thank you so much. And the vision is to make every survivor of human trafficking financially independent by building an inspiring future for their lives. Wow, that's a big vision. Quite a vision, right? <laughs> we don't know if we will ever get there, but that's what the vision is for there. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you never start, it will never happen anyway. And uh, yeah, so, so tell me more about that, um, yeah, that you want to focus on the survivors of human trafficking. So when was the moment you realized, I want to do that? That, that, that has initially started uh, back in 2016. 
where I was introduced in my studies with the, the social enterprise module. So uh, we learned how important social enterprises are, especially how important they will be in the future where the sustainability of the NGOs is going to be a concerning challenge. So I thought back to 2016, how could I make a difficult target group that is facing so many challenges back then were uh, survivors of domestic violence and victims of human trafficking together because we have also very high rates of domestic violence in Albania. And it was about empowering financially because I believe that being empowered as a human being, it also comes from the financial perspective. You have to be financially independent and empowered, mm -hmm. especially within the context of Albania where women they do a lot of work that they do not get paid. They do a lot of unpaid work that's not considered into the paid work. So this is when it, when it started being drafted as an idea. And I've also had the chance through a grant of the European Commission to go for um, a short period for some months in the Netherlands mm -hmm. to also have the opportunity to meet with startups and innovation hubs to to prototype more about the idea. Wow, wow, yeah. And uh, so you say it's a big vision, and, um, but what are the steps you have already taken? Because I think it's important that people hear about it because if, if nobody knows, it's good that people hear about that, that, that you are creating this, that you're in the middle of it. And, and, and where are you now? Thank you so much for asking about it and for giving me the space to talk about it. Well, first of all, Empowerful is a social economic empowerment plan that focuses on strengthening, first of all, the employment skills of survivors of human trafficking, and second, by giving them the opportunity to be their own, um, to be entrepreneurs, mm. to be entrepreneurs of their own social enterprise groups. It's not like in the previous cases where survivors will work in other social enterprises or in other enterprises, they will receive very low salaries and that won't be sustainable and sufficient for, for them to rebuild their lives and to live in dignity. So uh, currently we are in the developing phase. We haven't launched yet the first phase that is the training of survivors, which provides them with employment and also entrepreneurial skills on how to set up their own slow food lunchrooms. But we have formed our team, which is quite international. We have team members from India. We have team members from Canada, from Luxembourg, and from the UK that are helping us in, um, in the social media perspective, in building the training modules, in being sustainable, and also following some of the sustainable development goals of the UN, which are also important to align with them. And it has, been, it has been a great path. It has been going really well, taking into consideration that this is a voluntary initiative and it does not have any uh, profitable aim after it for me or for the team. It, ha it has been going really good. And this is something you do in your free time, right? Yes. it's With a full-time job. Yes, because I need to sustain financially myself. So um, this is what I do after I come back from work, during the weekends when we do have national holidays, instead, instead of thinking about doing something else, this is my drive, this is my motivator. Yeah. If, I if I look at you, it makes you feel alive. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I think we need that. It I don't know 
it doesn't feel like work because it's really something you want to do. Yes. And, and how did you find those people, those team members? That, that's a great story behind it because I didn't want to have friends in this uh, in the team. In terms, I want to have friends and supporters, but not in the team because I wanted people who would challenge me, who mm. wouldn't know me before, and who who would ask me questions and challenge me and know that I wouldn't mind about it. So I've met them through different initiatives, through conferences that I've attended. And one of the main um, elements that I would base my selection on the team would be what, what is their drive, as you've asked me? Uh, what is their mission in their life beyond the work that they do, the degrees that they have? And what united us uh, all together was the mission for social justice, not necessarily for providing um, economic empowerment opportunities to survivors of human trafficking, but it was being of use of, of communities and people who never had the chance and not because of their choice, because of other different factors that were not in their hands. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And um, so, Practically, what does it look like? Hey, because you have a vision, you are now in the building, uh, in the development uh, phase. So what does it look like on a very local level if you have, you know, in different countries? Eh? You, you told me it will be starting in different countries. But let's say in Albania, you start. Uh, it, it, it has been started. So what can we see? Yes. So uh, when it starts is the first is the first phase that is the the entrepreneurial training phase. Survivors of human trafficking they receive a six month entrepreneurial training, which uh, provides various aspects also of personal development of uh, finding the why uh, within themselves of being empowered in in different in different areas and perspectives. And after they finish that successful training process, they do get uh, training opportunities in terms of uh, internship opportunities. Mm -hmm. They get the chance to intern in successful companies in Albania so that they can get um, some of the tips of the executive directors. So when they direct their own enterprises, they would have that practical experience, but they would ha have also formed uh, mentorship uh, relationship. What the word I had in mind, like a mentorship. Yeah. So they could mentor them when they would have their enterprises, and that would be very helpful. Being mentored by a successful entrepreneur in Albania that means more network, more resources available, and feeling a bit more safer within the actions that you do as a beginner, right? Yeah. And then the second phase is where we see the real change is when survivors themselves uh, receive grants which are a mix of um, international organization grants, crowdfunding grants, and set up their own lunchrooms. And the lunchrooms will be uh, small lunchrooms that will have uh, products from women-led farms. Yeah. Uh, 6% of the farms in Albania are led by women. So imagine... That's that something you want to in increase, more women-led farms. So we want to support these women-led farms and we will take their, them products, uh, their products and we will have uh, breakfast and lunch dishes. We will also provide lunch packs for people who are to work so they can subscribe to a monthly plan or, or a yearly plan and they can have a healthy 
a sustainable and also affordable alternative towards the franchise companies and yeah, the big ones. Oh, it sounds so great. And I think it's so uh, appropriate for this time because there is a lot of change and also hope happening. Uh, uh, we can only focus on the problems, but if I hear this, I think, yeah, this is the, this is the right time to, to uh, roll this out in different countries. And um, yeah, I, I can imagine that, that people go to that lunchroom, that women are working there, and that there are women-led farms and happy faces, you know, and more independency. And of course, it takes maybe a generation or maybe more, we don't know. But if you don't, yeah, this, this is also a leap of faith, if you don't take the first step, yeah. there won't be a ne the next step. So the first step, you are taking the first step. Do you realize that? It's true. It's going to be challenging, but we we also aspire for for survivors to to be to be the leaders of themselves and to drive the change themselves. And for me, that's the most important thing. And this is why we will also focus on the quality of the lunch rooms. We do not want customers to buy the food just because these are survival-led enterprises, and we wouldn't put it on the center this meal is served by survivor um, i don't find it ethical at all to do it this is why uh, for the customers in the lunchroom is going to be self-service they're not going to be served by served by anyone within the lunchroom this is why we're focusing on this empowerment perspective rather than providing just employment opportunities for yeah. a short period with low salaries i can hear i really hear that there is a lot of attention to detail in your vision and in the the program it's it's not like okay you know we didn't think about it but it sounds like it's a very you know foundation uh, at least on paper is is well done and and there is a team uh, you said i wanted a team to challenge me and uh, you know, i might guess but maybe they're all older than you <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah generations and that's also that's also quite uh, quite quite a great team to have right you have different perspectives in that yeah yeah oh yeah that's great so how do you know by doing all this how do you know that you are on the right track well I've been asking myself also about that many times uh, not not especially now but in different paths through my life and oh well i'm 23 so imagine <laughs> there will be so many questions coming up uh, but for me one of the main things that makes me divide whether what i'm doing is right for me and for my mental health for my personal development is if it allows me to uh, to sleep well at night in terms of not having that heavy burden within my, within my chest. And there've been moments that I've done decisions that they've made me feel that heavy burden within myself. So it's, it's all about being real, being real about what you want to do and why you want to do it. When you are real within yourself and you're not lying yourself uh, about why you're doing the things that you're doing. And it's not only about the initiative, it's with the people that you surround is, um, the way how you talk with people, the connections that you create, this is when you know that you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are really thoughtful about it. And, and, and I like it, a very practical thing, you know, I have to go to bed on time. So it's about self-care. And that's true, you know, I think we all know it. If we don't sleep enough, 
if we have physical signs of anxiety, it's time to take a pause because then you see the broader picture again. And um, yeah, and, and, and you can't know everything. Yeah? So I, I really admire you that you are 23 years old and that you, you know, don't want to control everything. Maybe you want to, but you can't. Uh, and that you are taking the steps and uh, and that there is this yeah this mission and vision uh, which which serve like a northern star you know what I mean so northern star we say in coaching eh, some people sometimes people say I don't know what I want and so if they know their values I'm certain you know your values you know what's important for you well social justice will be one of your values and what are more values now that we're talking about values? And then I explain the Northern Star to you. <laughs> well, uh, it's also about being social and being responsible, being driven by doing something because you feel like doing it, not because somebody is watching you, but also helping helping other people. Yeah, and I th that might be hard for people who have not been. Uh, through a lot of hardship through their lives but for me that I've been through some hardships um, it's easier now to understand that some people might need help even by not asking about that help so you might sometimes have to uh, to open your eyes a little bit better and to look around you and I think also that helps you to become a better person to become to become a more human I think that nowadays we we've been we've been losing that humanity of us. I've been seeing that uh, through, uh, through neighborhoods, through actions in the TV, what we see happening worldwide. Um, it's an alarming situation. Yeah, yes. And that's what the media shows us also. And I, I also believe there is an other side because you are the other side and you are representative for, for many people in the world who are doing better, you know, who are doing something for the greater good. And uh, I think we, we have to, to see that there is a balance between the negative and the positive. And the negative is the only thing we should see in the news. So they, they don't broadcast you yet, but I hope in the future they will broadcast you on national and international television so that you can talk about it. And, uh, and we might use this, uh, this video even to broadcast, you know, you never know, why not? Um, but yeah, the, the Northern Star, uh, yeah, so once you know your values and you are you know your values and that's what we do in coaching also uh, you you can trust if you if you honor them you are on the right path if you're not honoring your values so you're not going in the right direction and what is the right direction so it's more like there's a sky and there's a northern star and the path will not be straight it will be going you know like this uh, in circles and sometimes there's a setback and, and you have to start over again but because you honor your values you can trust that you are on the right path wow that's also very helpful i've never heard about this one and this I'll, I'll write it down that's yeah. really helpful northern star <laughs> the no, you're a northern star <laughs> thank you so much yeah, and, and uh, in your in introduction um, was also something about that you are a writer. You have written two books. Wow, 23, two books. <laughs> <laughs> more. Uh, now that I hear about a writer, uh, I shouldn't have 
I shouldn't say the writer. That's a that's a very huge word, right? But um, I really enjoy writing. That's that's that what makes me um, sometimes lose uh, lose out of this world for a bit. And I need it. I need it because my supervisor used to say that you have to step out of the woods sometimes when I was doing research because you get so overwhelmed by by being inside all of those issues. Sometimes you need to get out of it to yeah. step back. To step back. So uh, this is what helps me writing poetry and writing books. So I first wrote my, my uh, the, the first book that I wrote was regarding my uh, my experience, but not directly me as experiencing as experiencing them back to my back to when I was an immigrant, and then how I faced with when I came back to Albania. Um, with different values, uh, different situations, and also growing up, changing uh, from a, from uh, from a teenager, being an adult, that's also a huge change. Mm-hmm. It made me reflect on how you can lose in different paths of lives. So life can take so many directions, and it's so easy to lose the, the direction that you've initially entered because there are so many paths. Yeah. So you need, you need to be aware, and it also talks about. Uh, about different different challenges within life and that nothing is definitive. As the flower, you can have the thorns and you can have the petals. So it depends the perspective that you take. Yeah. Wow, you're so wise. And and, and this, this this could be a handbook also for young people, you know, who have no clue about personal development and, and, and what can happen in life because many people are stuck and they are unaware of that there are different perspectives to look at life and that the path yeah, so uh, how do you know you are on the right path and what is the right path and can you change the path what what's happening then so you already wrote about that that's amazing thank you so much but that was when i was 17 so if, if i would go back to that i i, I would change a lot of things but it, it's beautiful for as it is for the time that it was and I appreciate that. <laughs> of course, and and it was written from you know at an early age, seventeen years, and it can also be you know I think many writers they, they write a lot of books they, before they they really publish something or nobody knows about it, but it, it's work in progress like everything like learning piano and I think everybody I know who has published a book calls himself a writer or an author, so don't be afraid to do that. <laughs> I think we're getting a bit to the end of this uh, this call and um, yes to to close this uh, this podcast and I think there is a lot of learning in it because you're very inspirational is there one advice or tip or a life lesson you would really want to share with the people the women especially who are listening Wow, that's challenging. And I've asked that question a lot of uh, inspiring people like mentors, but I would never uh, ask myself about that. And now I know how challenged they felt actually (laughs) when I've asked them. But thank you so much for asking for asking this one. From uh, from the youth perspective and from uh, from what I've experienced, I would say say is to never feel that you are that you're not enough 
Mm-hmm. And I've had, I've had so many times that I would feel like I'm not enough. Uh, I'm an immigrant. I'm a young girl. Um, my parents do not have this specific status, do not have, uh, do not have this specific amount of money. My family is not from this specific background. So I would, I would find so many things to stop me. And what I've learned through different paths of life is that all of these are just barriers that we create for ourselves. Of course, that it's more challenging being from a specific background, from a specific ethnicity. It's definitely more challenging, but this is where the challenge itself begins. Not putting the limits to yourself and not allowing others limiting your thoughts. If I would have listened to others, I would have never done that master's. I would have never worked in this initiative. I would have maybe been engaged now and been in a work eight hours per day. And that would have been my life. But being driven by the vision, by mission, and also not limiting yourself. Yeah, you, you said that twice. So not limiting yourself and especially not listening to others because they are always projecting their fear on you. And um, yeah, you are very resourceful. You, you listen to that inner voice and you had a vision. So I, I think that's very important that people have a certain direction in life. And, that they, and if they don't know it yet, that they try out what they love, right? They should, they should dare to listen to their inner voice. Um, just, just said it really well. Uh, I, I couldn't have said it in this way. They should listen to that and they should not allow other, other voices outside of themselves uh, interfering within that because there are so many people wasting their talent, wasting their dreams just because of the limiting beliefs of others. Yeah. And I think these are very wise words to finish this podcast with. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Angela, for sharing your wisdom, your energy, your uh, vision. And it's very inspiring. Thank you for being here. And yeah, one more, one more thing. Where can they read more about you or about your social enterprise plan? There, there is not a website or is there a website or just LinkedIn or... There is, there is currently only a LinkedIn with the name Empowerful with double L at the end because they are fully empowered. That's, that's the vision. And we are working within those three weeks to set up uh, the, the official website of Empowerful where we will have um, also some blogs to inform about human trafficking and what, what, we, what we can learn to be more informed and also to spot the signs and help possible victims of human trafficking as the work goes okay okay so they can find you on linkedin so thank you and uh so much that is really great thank you keep up up the good work and um yeah you're in a really good place and i'm happy there's a team and i think the team wasn't there six six weeks ago when we talked before the summer so um very thankful for that Thank you.